Welcome to the Grace Chapel Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you're encouraged and built up in your faith as we dive into God's Word together. Enjoy the message. Oh, come on. Can we give Jesus a mighty ovation of praise today? Come on. Hallelujah. Hello, everybody from Nairobi, Kenya. What a privilege. Thank you, Pastor Brian and Cynthia. What a joy to be here today. And uh, so excited to see and feel the presence of God in this house and our time of praise and worship. Wow, so refreshing and so wonderful. And thank you so very much for your heart for the world and your desire to just see God do things in the earth and beginning right here in your own world in Palm Beach. And it is great, it is great to be here today. I, uh, I do send, bring you greetings from back home. Uh, I say back home is where I've spent the greater part of my life, uh, from uh, Kenya, and uh, God is at work doing great things there. In 1951, let me tell you a little bit about myself. In 1951, my dad went to an old-fashioned altar in Galveston, Texas as a confirmed alcoholic uh, my father had many bondages in his life. He was a sailor in the U.S. Navy. And uh, he heard the gospel preached. And he went to an altar and knelt for two and a half hours. And he broke in the presence of God. He was very hard, very stubborn. Uh, he wouldn't give his life to Christ. And uh, he heard the gospel preached many times, but he refused. Finally, one night... Uh, there was an evangelist that was st standing on the platform in the church, this little small church in Galveston, and he told the congregation, he said, God wants to heal some people here tonight. And my father's sitting there, this hardened unbeliever, but beside him is my mom. And my mom had problems with her eyes. My mother had what was called a lazy eye, it was smaller than the other. It set further back in her head. She couldn't see without her reading glasses. She had big old thick glasses. And my father thought, you know what? These people, because people started going down and, and they were praying over them and people were saying, I'm healed and I had a headache and I'm healed and I had a backache and I'm healed. And my father was as a Navy, you know, the Navy, a tough sailor. He's like, these guys are being paid to say this. So he, he just nudged my mom and he said, go down there and let that man heal you. And so my mother got up and she went down. Because <laughs> my mother was just telling my dad, I need to have my, I need new glasses. And so my dad thought, if he heals her, he's going to save me 75 bucks. <laughs> if he doesn't heal her, I'm going to whip this preacher and run him out of town. And we're going to shut this farce down. My mother goes down there, and, and, and she's just standing there, and this little evangelist just came, and he just, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, be healed, be healed. And when he touched my mom, the power and the presence of God came upon her. And God suddenly, that eye that was smaller, it grew. It's 
was sitting further in, in the back. It moved forward. The prince, from wearing glasses on her nose and her temples, the temple, the prints were all removed. And my mother turned around, and the, without the glasses, she could see perfectly, read for the first time. And they put the glasses on the pulpit like that and left them there. And for the next 21 nights, they had amazing, amazing miracles of healing, and God turned lives around. Well, my father's standing in the back, and he said as soon as my mother turned around, he realized she's healed. And she came walking down. She, there was a, fl a floor heater in the middle of the aisle where she was. And my dad was just, he knew without her glasses, he's going to have to go pick her up off the floor. She got to that floor heater, walked around it, and came to my dad and put her arms around him and said, Honey, I'm healed. And my dad lived with that miracle for the next six weeks. He could not believe that she was healed. He would make her, he, she was a seamstress, he would make her sew without her glasses. He would make her read the Bible in small print. He was teaching her how to drive. He would make her parallel park without her glasses. Every test she passed. And at the end of six weeks, my dad couldn't stand it anymore, and he ran down to that altar, and he gave his life to Jesus. Hallelujah! And God so completely transformed my father. When he got up from that altar, he was completely delivered from alcohol. He never, he never uh, drank again. He, he was completely delivered from nicotine. My father had three packs of cigarettes every day, totally delivered, totally set free from every bondage in his life. The problem was my father couldn't read or write. He was, he was from... Uh, a very poor family and sharecropper's home, and he would be pulled out of the classes and made to work the fields. And so my father only went to the third grade, and it took him six years to get through the third grade. Six weeks later, after he came to Christ, my dad was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the night he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he heard the Lord say to him, I want you to preach. And so he couldn't read the Bible but he heard that D.L. Moody one time said that a man can, re, can preach a message by carrying a Bible. So he bought a big Bible, and he thought, this is how I'm going to preach. And everywhere he went, he carried this Bible, but he couldn't read it. So one night he's sitting in service. He and my mother's lives have been totally transformed, and now God's called him to preach, but he can't read the Bible. So one night he's in church, and the pastor said, I'm going to be reading from Acts 16. So my mother, my father had the Bible on his lap. My mother helped him find Acts 16. And my father is trying to read along with the pastor. And the, the, now, now, he had a third grade education, so he could read, and it is the, but if it got past three letters, it's over. So the pastor was reading that the men of Berea were more noble than the men of Thessalonica in that they received the word of God with readiness of heart. 
Well, my father is trying to follow along. And when he got to that word Thessalonica, he said that word looked so long it ran off the side of the page. But the Holy Spirit said Thessalonica. And then the pastor came behind and read it. And when the pastor read it the way the Holy Spirit said, my father looked up at the pastor in shock. And when he looked back down, he could read every word on the page. Oh, yeah. Come on, somebody. And that was it. I mean, <laughs> that was it. From that point on, my dad began, he, his life was totally transformed. The first book he ever read was the Bible, and he believed it. He totally believed what, everything it said because God had totally delivered him. And from that moment, God put a, a burden in my father's heart, not only to preach, but to preach all over the world. My father had a desire for nations. He had a desire to go to the world. But he couldn't. He was just one individual. So he told my mom, he said, look, God has given us children. There were two at that point, two kids. So he said, the other children, all of our children that God gives us, we're going to train them and raise them, and we're going to send them out as missionaries into the world. So I have three brothers and one sister. And from the time that I can remember of being coherent, <laughs> From that moment on, our life at home was a training camp. My father used to take us every summer, put us all in the car. He was a church planter in North Louisiana, and he would drive us every summer to Mexico. Every summer, we as a family would drive and be exposed to the, to the world. And he said, God, I can't call my children, but I'm asking you to call them. And so my dad, whenever he or my mom would go anywhere in the world and they would fall in love with a country, my dad would cry out and say, God, would you call one of my children to this country? My father went to the Philippine Islands to minister there. He fell in love with the Philippines. He said, God, would you call one of my children to the Philippine Islands? My sister went to the Philippines. He went to Scotland, and he was preaching in Scotland. He said, God, I love Scotland. Would you call one of my children, the brother who follows me? None of us knew Dad and God had this deal going on, you know? <laughs> and so my brother goes to Scotland. 1969, my father flies to Africa on a propeller-driven aircraft 14 hours from London. There was no jet service in those days, and he flew to Kenya, and he fell in love with Kenya, and he said, God, would you call one of my children? 51 years later, here I stand before you, having given 51 years of my life to Africa, and thank God and giving God the praise. Thank you, Jesus. It is just amazing. I'm just abiding the days for when I, I just got here day before yesterday, and I can't wait to get back. There's just no place like Africa for many, many years. I met my wife in Africa. We're both from Louisiana. I used to drive within one city block, two city blocks of her home 
and never knew she was there until God put us together in Africa. And it's amazing. And we've given our, our lives to serve. In 1978, I was called to reach the unreached people groups of our nation. I had never preached among people who had never heard the name of Jesus. But God just sovereignly called my wife and I to go into hardship areas and areas where the gospel had never been preached. We went into the areas so deep, no electric light had ever been seen. They, the, the African people would run up to me and rub my skin to see if this white would come off. And uh, it was amazing. And God used us for many, many years. God provided us with an aircraft. I, I learned to fly in Africa, and we would fly into unreached areas and just spend weeks and months in there taking the Jesus film and preaching and reaching and planting and after many years of that work, I said, God, you have got to, we've got to see, you've got to do something. Where are the Kenyans? Where are the Kenyans? I, I will do this the rest of my life, but God, we need to raise up the mighty Kenyan people to go and send to the unreached people groups. And one night in prayer, my wife looked at me and she said, I know what we need to do. I said, what? She said, we need to move to Nairobi the capital city, and we need to plant a church. She said, Don, you have given years of your life. You have the passion. You have the burden. You have the vision. She said, let's go to the city and let's raise up a mission training, a mission giving, and a mission sending church. And I looked at her and said, don't talk to me about moving to a capital city. I'm not interested in a capital city, running water, electricity, all that. This is where the real missionaries work, right here, doing what I'm doing. And it was just pride coming out of me. But God, indeed, that was the word of the Lord through my wife to me. And we went in 1987, and we began our local church with the vision of raising up a missions, giving, sending, and training and sending church. And we began with nine adults and 13 children, and God has blessed our ministry immensely over the years to the point where even Pastor Brian and Cynthia came and our church meeting in a stadium. God has just done phenomenal things, and we've been able to send and plant and, and, and do what God has put in our hearts to do, and we feel like we're just beginning. So I want to take about two minutes, three minutes of your time and let you go with me over to Nairobi and just see a portion of what we've been able to see done during the COVID time as well as after God has been faithful. And I want you to realize when you see this that you'll notice the first thing you'll notice is everybody's young. You know, Africa is a young continent. 78% of Africa, not just Kenya, 78% of Africa's population is 25 and under. In our nation, in our city alone, a city of 4 million, we have 1.9 million teenagers. We are extremely, 80% of my church is single. We have a very young, young church, and they're full of fire, and they're full of life. Check it out.
Oh, yeah. To God be the glory. Look with me quickly, please, to Genesis chapter 25, verses 21 through 23. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. Can we pray? Father, in these moments together around your word, open our eyes, open our heart, open our understanding, oh God. Let your word have its effectual work deep on the inside of us. Lord, all we need is your word to transform us and to bring us into greater places. God, I thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit as I take these moments to deliver this word. So honored today, Father, so privileged today to minister to your amazing people. I pray, Father, that this word will bring transformation into our hearts and our minds and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, one more hand clap to Jesus, King of Kings. Woo! Hallelujah. Listen to the following. Isaac prayed, the Lord answered, Rebecca asked. Isaac prayed, the Lord answered, and Rebecca asked, inquired. And her question is one that I think all of us in this room have asked at one time or another in our walk with God. We cry out to God, God answers us, and then, seemingly out of nowhere, the jostle begins, the struggle, the turmoil. We cry out, God answers, and then why? What's going on? The fight, the questions arise. In fact, if you have been following and serving God for any length of time, you've asked Rebecca's question, and it's what I want to speak to us briefly on today. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? I started the day in your presence, so amazing. God, you answered, and now by the end of the day, it's like, God, everything is broken loose, and what's going on? Why is this happening? You know, I'm American by birth. I'm African by, by life <laughs> and by experience. In fact, God just blessed me a year and a half ago with my citizenship in Kenya, and uh, it's uh, incredible. I'm so honored. But you know, looking out and from afar at the homeland, my homeland, it's so easy to ask this very question, why is this happening in America? Why is this happening to Americans? Why? It's this nation. Listen, I've been out there all these years. Do you know the first responders worldwide 
regardless of the culture, regardless of the religious stance of any nation, do you know who the first responders are when there's a tragedy and there's a crisis and there's a famine? It's the United States of America. Do you know how amazing it is to see those ships coming in when the entire nation is in unbelievable struggle and you see the red, white, and blue uh, flag flying and they're coming in and they're unloading, uh, unloading foods and unloading medical supplies and serving a nation. Come on, this nation is a great nation. Why is this happening? Come on, can we thank God for America? And, be, and, be, and listen carefully, because of what America represents and the great heart that God has given America, there's Americans, it's, it's no wonder there's this struggle and there's this turmoil going on. The answer that God gave Rebecca is amazing. Why is this happening to me? And here's what God said, two nations are in your womb. Two nations, there are peoples within you to be separated. Nations, listen, people to be separated. Just like us back home in Nairobi, this church is carrying nations, everybody. This church is carrying nations. You have multitudes of people on the inside of you. So don't be surprised when you find yourself in a situation or in a turmoil or a struggle. Two nations are within you. There are peoples to be separated. Thank you for your heart for the world. Thank you for embracing the world. Thank you for embracing me. Having never known me or seen me, thank you for opening your heart to me today in these moments. There are nations on the inside of Grace Chapel, on the inside of you. You know, the Bible is an account of God's dealings with men who often found themselves and women struggling with this question time and time again. Why is this happening to me? And I want to draw on one quickly. Genesis chapter 37 and verse 13. This is a classic example of why is this happening to me? Verse 13, when they had gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. I love that. I'm ready to go. Come on, be ready, always ready to go. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father... A wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. And you know the rest of the story. They threw him into the cistern. The Bible says they sat down to eat. Incredible. Think about it. They throw their brother into a cistern. They sit down to eat. When they look up and they see a caravan coming by and they pull Joseph out of the cistern and they sell. These Ishmaelite traders were going through the area and they sold them to Joseph for 20 pieces of silver and then sent him down into Egypt where he was sold into slavery. Why 
is this happening to me? I'm simply in obedience to my father. I told my father I'm ready to go, to go and check on his brothers, and he ends up as a slave. Why is this happening? I'll tell you why it's happening, and it's contained in verse 19. The brothers who actually sold him give us the answer as to why this is happening to Joseph. Behold, verse 19, behold, this dreamer cometh. Behold, this dreamer comes. The living Bible says, here comes that master dreamer. Here comes that master dreamer. And then, verse 24, then, after saying that, they took him and put him into a pit. Why is this happening to me? I'll tell you why it's happening. Because you possess a dream. Because you possess a dream. The word dreamer means a master, a captain, a chief man, an owner. Look at that. Behold, that master dreamer, the master dreamer, the captain, the chief man. You see, the man with a dream or the man without a dream is always at the mercy of a man with a dream. And the greater your dream, the greater your potential for trouble. The greater your dream, the greater your potential for struggle. What are you dreaming over for your family? What's your dream for your kids? What's your dream for your city? What's your dream for this community where God has placed you? What's your dream for your business? What dream do you possess? The greater your dream, the greater potential there is for struggle. You see, at Dothan, when they saw their brother coming, they did not say, notice what they did not say. They did not say, here comes our brother with his, his coat of many colors. Or here comes our brother with, who's the favorite son of our father's old age? No, they said, here comes the dreamer. Here comes the dreamer, the master dreamer. You see, Joseph's dreams were the cause of his trial. Joseph's dreams were the cause of his hardship. My wife and I have a dream over our city. We have a dream over our nation. We have a dream over our continent. Africa is a continent with unbelievable potential, incredible. Next generation power is unbelievable. Joseph's dreams were the cause of his trial. It's interesting, after the word dream appears, after the word dream appears, none of this appears before the word dream in Genesis 37, but after the word dream, listen to the following statements. They hated him. This is after the word dream. They hated him. They hated him yet the more. They rebuked him. They envied him. This is all after dream. They conspired against him. They said, let us slay him. They stripped him. They cast him into a pit. They sold him. Why is this happening to me? 
Verse 20, we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. What dream has God given you? Come on. What dream do you have on the inside of you? What dream do you have as a church that you're holding on to? In facing opposition and trial in the pursuit of his dream, Joseph teaches us some incredible lessons. There's a few things, a couple of things we're going to take away from this. Number one, always remember God's providences often seem to contradict his purpose. What do I mean by that? Well, this is a takeaway from Joseph's life. What God allows in his providence and by his providence often seems to contradict his purpose. This is a pattern that you can go and see throughout the Bible. That what God in his providence allows, it often seems to contradict his purpose. I want to say that God has a purpose over your life. God has a purpose over your son, over your daughter. God's purpose will prevail. I said God's purpose will prevail. And I want to decree over you today that you may be in this situation like Joseph. Why is this happening, God? I know you're God. I know. Just as we sang, great is your faithfulness. God, you've done it so many times. But everything around me seems to be contradicting. It seems to be so contradictory of what's going on. Joseph would one day become prime minister of Egypt, and his brothers indeed would bow before him. Remember Joseph's dream? We were all out harvesting. My sheaf arose. Your sheaves bowed down to me. The sun, moon, and stars all paid me homage, bowed down. Do you remember those dreams? He, 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 he possessed those dreams. And indeed, he would one day become prime minister of Egypt. His brothers would indeed bow before him, bringing to fulfillment his dream. But before becoming prime minister, Joseph would face a pit, a promiscuous woman, Punishment and prison. I'll start with the letter P, prime minister. But before becoming prime minister, he's facing a pit, promiscuous woman, punishment, and prison. And each of these, by God's providence, served, and there's one more word with the letter P. Each one of these by God's providence, served to position Joseph. Position Joseph. Oh, yeah. For the fulfillment of his dream. And therefore, Joseph would not lose sight of his dream. He held on to it. There was a mother of two sons. One was named Kevin. He was five. There was another named Ryan. Ryan was three. One morning, mom is making pancakes for her little guys, and they're sitting at the bar stools, and they're watching her intently. 
And while they're watching, an argument broke out between them. Who's going to be the first to get the, the, the first pancake? And the mother, seeing this as an opportunity to teach a lesson, she said to the little guys, Now, boys, if Jesus were here, he would say, Let my brother have the first pancake. Kevin, the five-year-old, the older, he's watching his mom. He just suddenly cut his eyes over to Ryan, three-year-old, and he said, Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> oh, don't take your eyes off the pancakes. Come on, somebody. Don't take your eyes off the vision. Faithful is he who called you who also will do it. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he not spoken? Will he not make it good? For I know that my God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I can ask or think according to the power that is at work in me. Come on, can you give him glory today? Can you give him praise today? He's a mighty God. He's a faithful God. Hallelujah. What God by his providence often allows, it does seem to contradict, but listen. Just keep your eyes focused. There's so many things that wants to take you off, so many voices that wants to take you away from the dream you possess and discourage you. But you just be Jesus. You just keep your eyes on the on the goal in Jesus' name. Joseph was 17 years old when he received his dream. Do you know how old he was when he stood before Pharaoh? He was 30. 13 years. When I thought about that, this is what the Spirit of the Lord just spoke to me. 13 years. Great dreams require great days to be fulfilled. That's my takeaway from this. This is the second lesson I learned. Great dreams require great days to be fulfilled. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 40 when Joseph, who was the head of the prison, now he's gone from the pit, he's faced the promiscuous woman, now he's in prison, remember that? And the Bible says the keeper of the prison handed everything over to Joseph. Favor of God. D.L. Moody once wrote, cream will always rise to the surface of the milk, even if the milk is in a wash basin. And Joseph just rose to favor everywhere he went. And so the, the Pharaoh was upset with his chief butler and his chief baker. He was offended by them, and the Bible says the Pharaoh threw them into prison. And while they were in prison, under Joseph's care, they had a dream. Amazing. Joseph's life centered around dreams, beginning with his own dream, and then the dreams of the chief butler, the chief baker. So one morning, they go, Joseph goes in to serve them breakfast, and they're sitting there, and they're sad, and Joseph says, why are you sad? And the chief butler said, well, you would be sad too because we have dreamed, both of us, the baker and myself have dreamed and there's no one to interpret our dream. And Joseph said, interpretation of dreams belongs to God. Powerful message right there. 
It belongs to God. Tell me your dream. So the chief butler said, I was standing before Pharaoh. I had Pharaoh's cup in my hand, and before me was a vine, and out of that vine shot three branches, and from the three branches came buds and blossoms and then full clusters of grape. Uh, grapes. I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and I handed the cup to Pharaoh. Joseph said, the three branches are but three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up out of this place and restore you to your former position. The Bible says when the chief baker heard the interpretation was good, he said, I too had a dream. And my dream was I had three baskets on the top of my head. At the very top of the basket, it was filled with bread and pastries and all kind of baked goods. And the birds of the air came and began to eat from that top basket. And Joseph said, those three baskets are also three days. And in three days, the Pharaoh is going to lift you up out of this place. But there's just a small difference between... You're not only going to be lifted up, he's going to lift off your head. And in three days' time, listen, the Bible says that the butler and the baker were brought up out of prison. The butler was restored to his position, and the baker was hanged. Now, before the butler left, Joseph said, please remember me. When you get back to your position, I did nothing worthy of being here. Remember me. And the Bible says when the butler got back to the party, he completely, totally forgot about Joseph. And God dealt with me and God said, you don't need a man to bring your dreams, the dream that I have put into you. Look to me, keep your eyes on me. And boy, oh boy, I struggled with this. Here are guys, they dream, and three days later, have you ever met somebody like that? They have a dream that God just, and like three days later, bam, it's, it's done. They're so excited. God has moved for them, done amazing things for them. And here you've been pressing, here you've been walking, here you've been believing, you've been pressing in. Oh, my goodness, it's nauseating. But three days later, and I struggled with this. I said, God, how is it? Amazing, precious people. God, we're walking it out. We're seeking. And yet others can just quickly. And the Lord said, read verse 11 of Genesis 40, and I'll tell you why. So I read verse 11. You know what verse 11 of Genesis 40 says? It says, it's the butler, and he's speaking, and he says, in my hand was the Pharaoh's cup. I read that. I said, okay. The Lord asked me, what's in the hand of the butler? I said, I read it again. I said, the Pharaoh's cup. Then the Lord said to me, what's in Joseph's hand? So I read the verse again, and I didn't read anything about Joseph. All I'm reading is in the hand of the butler is the Pharaoh's cup. God said, what's in the hand of Joseph? I said, I read it again. I said, God, I don't know. Again, what's in the hand of Joseph? I read and then suddenly it hit me. Great 
dreams take great days to fulfill. I suddenly realized in the hand of the butler is Pharaoh's cup. In the hand of Joseph is Pharaoh's nation. God said to me, do you want a cup or do you want a nation? Come on, I ask you, Grace Chapel, do you want a cup or do you want a nation? Two nations are on the inside of you. And I said, God, tears running down. I want a nation, God. Give me nations. To have nations is going to take great days. A cup can come, but nations takes great days. And now I finish. The greater your dream, the greater time it will take to see it fulfilled. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, To everything there is a season and a time, to every purpose under the heaven. Number three, never let your dream die. Never let your dream die. Joseph's brothers went back to Jacob, their father, claiming a wild beast had killed the boy. They took Joseph's coat of many colors. They tore it into shreds. They slaughtered a goat, and they poured its blood all over the coat. And they did this for one purpose, to convince their father that Joseph was dead. You see, death was their original plan. Come, let's kill him. Death was their original plan. And as far as they were concerned, Joseph was dead. And in their mind, when Joseph died, his dream died. But Joseph was very much alive, and so were his dreams. Someone once said, don't die before you're dead. Come on, don't die before you're dead. Don't let your dream die. What dream do you possess over your city, over your home, over your community, over your business, over your children? Don't let your dream die. You may be here this morning asking this very question, why is this happening to me? No matter what you're facing, keep your dream alive. Let us not lose heart and grow weary and faint in acting nobly and doing right. For in due season at the appointed time, we shall reap if we do not faint and relax our courage in Jesus' name. Genesis 41, two more years. Two full years after Joseph was forgotten by the chief butler, the Bible says he languished in prison. Guess what? Another dream. Pharaoh had a dream. Pharaoh had a dream. No one could interpret it. Suddenly the, but the butler realized, ding, I remember two years ago, there was a Hebrew in the prison, and he reminded the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh remembered and said, call for that man. And there's a very interesting note in verse 14 of Genesis 41. I read this scripture, and I just said, Lord, why is this scripture in the Bible? Because this is Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, calling for Joseph, and now we have verse 14, verse 14. 
and Joseph shaved himself. The Bible always intrigues me. And when I find this verse, I'm like, now wait, you've got the Pharaoh calling him. He's personally calling and Joseph is shaving. Why is that verse of scripture in the Bible? The Bible says that Joseph changed or Joseph shaved himself and then Joseph changed his raiment, his garments, and then went to Pharaoh. Joseph kept the most powerful man in the face of the earth waiting while he shaved. Why did he do that? Joseph keeps the most powerful man on the face of the earth waiting while he changes his clothing. Why did he do that? Didn't hit me. Shaving is a statement. The shaving is a statement that Joseph's making to all of us. And hear his statement all of these years later. My dream lives. My dream lives. I've been waiting for this moment. I've been waiting for this day. My dream is very much alive. And then he changed his garments. And it hit me again. Never dress from where you've come from. Always dress for where you're going. Oh, yeah. Never dress from where you come from. Always dress for where you are going. The man who carried a dream for 13 years, refusing to let it die, prepared himself and readied himself and said, this is the day. This is my day. And he walked in and he interpreted the dream of the Pharaoh and he was given his place as prime minister. Where else can we find such a man as this man? Joseph's own dreams were the occasion of his, his troubles, and now Pharaoh's troubled dreams were the occasion of Joseph's enlargement. Could we stand, please? And could we give Jesus a mighty ovation of praise today? Come on, he's great. He's awesome. Who can compare with him? Thanks for joining us. And thank you to our Grace family who have been generously giving in to this ministry. For more information about our church, please visit gogracechapel.com and give us a follow on Facebook or Instagram with the same handle at gogracechapel. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.